0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio.
1: Welcome to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time on the High Velocity Radio Show and the Business Radio X network, brought to you by the Business Radio X studio partner program. If you're a business coach, and want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, this is going to be a fantastic show. Please join me in welcoming to the broadcast, president and founder with Women's Success Coaching, Miss Bonnie Marcus. Good afternoon. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. How are you?
1: Uh, We are doing great, Bonnie. Uh,
2: Before we get too far into things, can you tell us a little bit about Women's Success Coaching? How are you serving folks?
0: Women's Success Coaching started in 2007, and my mission is really to help women create more visibility and credibility for themselves um, and position themselves for success. And um, I offer individual coaching, Uh, retreats, uh, group coaching, one-on-one coaching.
2: And before you got into coaching, what were you up to?
0: Before I got into coaching, that's a good question. I was a corporate um, executive. I spent 25 years in business, um, started out at an entry level, worked my way up to running a national company. And, um, when I was in the corporate arena, I realized that so many women were being passed over. They were really talented, um, but they were invisible because they really didn't know how to, uh, create any kind of visibility for themselves. And they hesitated to talk about their accomplishments, et cetera. So when I went back and, and, um, got my coaching certification, I decided to focus on women because I felt that um, women really needed to get get themselves into the spotlight more to get the recognition they deserved.
2: Now, in your career, though, you didn't have, it seems like you didn't have problems kind of working your way up and navigating the politics of corporate America.
0: Well, you know, you learn along the way, right? So um, I think there's a certain point where uh, you work really hard and your performance gets you ahead, and then you realize it takes more than that. It really takes relationship building. Um, It takes uh, paying attention to the politics. And I did have a major hiccup in my career. I was working with um, one company for about eight years, and I had... Um, a a rapid rise to the top. I received a whole bunch of different promotions. And um, then I was really stuck in what was called an AVP role. Um, And when a vice president role opened up, I threw my hat in the ring because I was a top performer and I was certainly the most qualified. But I didn't pay attention at all to how the decision was going to be made. Um, I had a new boss. I didn't build a relationship with him. Um, And, you know, even though I thought I was a shoe-in, they ended up bringing in um, a man from another territory to, to fill that spot. And that was a rude awakening for me that, you know what? It's not just about performance. You really need to build relationships in a strategic way. You need to understand... Who has power and influence over the decisions that are made about your career? Um, And that, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're in a corporate setting or as an entrepreneur. You really need to know the lay of the land and you need to understand the dynamics, whether it's of your company or your market.
2: Now, do you think that that uh, same counsel holds true for the younger generation who seems to uh, kind of gravitate towards job hopping like they're they're moving from company to company rather than up the ladder in one given company.
0: Yeah, well, I think what's really changed since I started my career was um you know, now it's it's much more common to see somebody's at a job for um a couple of years and then they they move on. Um, I remember when I was first a manager looking at a resume like that and saying, Oh, what's wrong? You know, <laughs> that person's uh, why did they keep hopping around? Um, because you would see a lot of resumes with uh, certainly a lot of tenure um, and things have changed now. I, I think that it's almost a mark against you. If you stay in one job with one company for um, a long period of time. Now there's kind of a red flag on that. It's like, well, you know, are you too complacent? And what are you doing? Right. Staying there in, in one place for so long. Um, and I think that we do see um, that play out with uh, younger generation with with millennials. Um they don't have the same expectation that they need to stay in one place for a long period of time. They're looking to see, you know, more what they can get out of that job in terms of um, experience, in terms of responsibility, and then use that to leverage their next their next situation.
2: Now, before you got into coaching, were you doing some coaching just is that just part of the, your DNA that that's kind of your personality that you're helping and mentoring and coaching people?
0: Yeah, I think that's true of all of us, don't you? Yeah. Um, I loved empowering um, my my team and coaching my employees along the way. That was always very, very satisfying. At one point, um, I had 18 direct reports, um, but one of the favorite things I'd love to do was to not only work one-on-one with all of them to help them build their leadership skills, but to bring them all together and um, have brainstorming sessions where you know, they could all learn from each other. And, um, and that, you know, that's really what coaching is about. It's, uh, as you know, it's not that the coach has all the answers. It's about helping individuals find find out what the right path is for them.
2: And then um, after you left the, your corporate career, uh, obviously one of your choices was to, like, be a consultant or serve still the uh, doing the work similar than what you did, but you decided to kind of change gears and get into coaching. What was that kind of thought process while that was occurring?
0: You know, part of it was uh, – that the uh, working for myself really appealed to me. Um, I had a 20-year career where I made millions of dollars for other companies, and I was like, oh, okay, Um, maybe at some point it would be nice to to work for myself and put that effort um, forward for my own company. So I think that was part of it, and part of it, to be really honest, was a lifestyle choice. Uh, When I was an executive, I was flying all over the country and um, very rigorous travel. And uh, I needed a break. Mm -hmm. Most of the coaching I do is um, remote. Um, I do have I've had some engagements with companies where where I'm on site and I do a lot of speaking. So I travel for that. But it's, you know, it's more under my control. As, as a coach and running my own business.
2: And then so when you were deciding um, through different choices and you said, okay, I'm going to be a coach, at that point did you say, okay, now I'm going to have to get certified that that's going to be an important credential to have even though you had all the decades of practical experience?
0: I did. Um, I wanted the credibility of, of being a certified coach. I felt it was important for the type of clients that I wanted to serve in a a corporate setting. And um, I found that since then, I mean, a lot of companies don't necessarily look at whether or not you're you're certified. And certainly there are a lot of coaches out there who are very successful who aren't. But at the time, to me, um, I thought that was the right path to take.
2: Now, what about um, kind of partnering with a coaching methodology? Did you look around for different types of uh, coaching cur- coaching certifications out there, or, or kind of the gurus in the space to to be join forces with, or did you say, you know, I'm going to do this on my own with my own kind of methodology? No,
0: I definitely look for certification programs, and I um, I wanted something that would be easy to do. Um, uh, that would be fairly affordable, and that would get me ICF certified. So I wanted the program to be rigorous enough, and I ended up finding um, a coaching program through IPEC, mm-hmm. and um, ended up uh, getting that ICF certification. You know, passing the um, passing the test for that. Uh, And it was, I think it was like a nine-month program. What I really liked about the program that I took was they had um, on-site weekends, um, and we also had then online uh, a lot of uh, telephone group discussions as well.
2: Do you remember the first person that maybe you didn't know very well that was your your first person you coached?
0: (sighs) Huh. Well, the first person I formally coached, um, you know, as part of the program, we coached each other. Right. And so, uh, you know, some of the other students in the program, we would uh, have to coach and log in so many hours.
2: Right. But the um, first person that was paying you and then, you know, you were doing this for real now for the first time.
0: Uh, the first person that was paying me. Um, that's a good question. I don't remember the person's name. I know that I started to build that network, um, by letting people know, you know, former colleagues, um, that I worked with, uh, other coaches who had different niches would refer to me. And I, I started to build up my, my clientele that way.
2: But we. I'm just trying to get at If you were nervous or that kind of experience from your end of things, how you you went through that, and here's this person that's counting on me, and you know, I'm kind of. New oh, I this. see what you're
0: saying. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't have any of that. It felt very natural to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't feel like I was out of my comfort zone in any way. Um, I know that. Uh, A lot of coaches, a lot of women especially, struggle with, well, how do I take money for this and how do I charge? And, you know, sometimes we tend to undervalue ourselves. So I think, you know, that's always a struggle is what is is the right fee and, and do I feel comfortable with that? I certainly help a lot of clients with that. But I was very comfortable with the coaching process.
2: Were you always focused on women or did that come later?
0: No, right out of the gate, as I said before, I was—I uh, recognized that there was a need, and um, that there's, there are just so many women out there who just rely on their performance, which is really important. Don't get me wrong, but they don't really understand how to um, build any kind of credibility in a in an authentic way. And uh, I have coached men. And believe me, there are plenty of men who have trouble promoting themselves effectively um, as well. Um, But my primary focus, the bulk of my clients are women.
2: And um, that's a good lesson for the coaches out there. Even though you might specialize in one group, uh, you're going to get other people like it. Yeah. And a lot of people think that they're missing out on things. But I think by specializing you're separating yourself from everybody else
0: and you know that that's scary you know i i remember it was part of our coaching program to identify a niche and i think that was challenging for all of us in the program as i remember because it was gee if i narrow it down i'm going to miss all these people just as you just said um and yet marketing 101 tells you that the better you are at defining that niche the more likely you are to attract the right, the right clients. But it's a little scary at first.
2: Right. We say niches brings you riches, but uh, it is a leap (laughs) of faith. (laughs) Now, um, during your coaching career, you put together a book, The Politics of Promotion. Can you talk about how that came about?
0: Yeah. um, The Politics of Promotion is really based on my experience of being blindsided and passed over for the promotion that I described earlier, Mm -hmm. Um, and understanding that women especially tend to avoid office politics um, because they think it's a waste of time and they think it's nasty. Um, But when you're not paying attention to the dynamics in the workplace, uh, you can set yourself up to be um, blindsided and overlooked. So I put together what's called a political toolkit in the book. It describes five different tools um, to help you build your political savvy and and get ahead in the workplace. How to best navigate the complexities of of the workplace.
2: Now, how are you defining politics? Like, is that the kind of chit chat, you know? People talking behind them their back, or people kissing up in order to get ahead. Like, like, what's your definition of politics in this sense?
0: The the, the politics in this sense is um, the dynamics in the workplace, and I talk about three different things that you really need to look at. You need to look at um, what the rules are and what the unwritten rules are, because a lot of the unwritten rules rule. Um, <laughs> That's as well said. Right? And so, you know, look under the covers and and really what does it take to get ahead where you are? Not what you're assuming, but what is the reality? Look around, at, whether if you're a woman, look around and say, okay, have other w- women made it to the top? You know? And if so, what are their relationships and how have they done that? And who are, you know, what's their book of business? And, and these kinds of things. So, it's um, really getting into the reality of what those dynamics are and what it takes to get ahead, what kind of behavior is rewarded, what kind of behavior isn't rewarded. Um, so it's, it's the culture, it's the rules and unwritten rules. And then it's who has power and influence. Um, who has power and influence over decisions that affect your career? And how do you build a, a very strategic network to support your career goal? Um, understanding who those people are and and how um, you can build and nurture relationships that will be a win win.
2: Now, how do you determine who really has power? Like, are there some tips on that?
0: Well, it's observing. You know, in the in the book, the the tool that I I. I use is a magnifying glass just to remind you that you need to really pay attention to all the little things that are going on around you Um, and very often we think well, you know, you look at the org chart and That's who has power but not Necessarily, so you know, there are a lot of instances where you know Somebody at the top will give up their power or somebody has more influence so it's, it's really paying attention who, you know, who's favorite right now, um, and um, do they have power and influence? So it's not always based on the org chart. You really need to pay attention.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Coach the Coach, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. Featuring our guest today, president and founder with Women's Success Coaching, Miss Bonnie Marcus. If you're a business coach and you want to help more people make more money and own your backyard, go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, this is my favorite part of the show because you know what we get to talk about? You. You got it. So, Bonnie, I am not out in the marketplace as a coach, but one of the hats that I wear one of my primary responsibilities here at the Business Radio X Network is coaching our studio partners across the country, and I do invest a lot of my time and energy in helping them avoid some challenges because Lee and I have a lot of scar tissue. Just about every mistake you could make in that role, we've made mm-hmm. it. Helping them capitalize on opportunities. Something I have not uh, developed much of a knack for and would love to get some insight from you on is when someone does get the wind knocked out of their sails, they get blindsided, like you're describing, um, or they just really, you know, make a, a mistake and it just doesn't go well. Coaching them through what I'll call recovery and and coming back. And I wondered if you had some disciplines or some methodology, or you know, here's the three things that I tell them, or any counsel you might offer to me and other coaches who find themselves from time to time needing to coach people through kind of bouncing back and recovering from something like that? Well, um, I
0: I think part of it is as a coach is acknowledging with your client um, the pain, right? Whatever they went through is real and just listening to that, letting them vent if there's anger um, whatever that is, very often you're going to pick up on cues that the anger is either directed outward or inward. And, and then that helps you as a coach to figure out, well, where do you go forward? If you think it's all external, if the client thinks so, um, then I will coach them around um, how when you feel like a victim, you're paralyzed and you're stuck and so how do we how do we get out of that right um if it's internal then there's a lot of you know because there's a lot of things that we tell ourselves that keep keep us stuck or um don't allow us to see the situation in a in a very objective way so um in a situation where somebody has say been blindsided um What are they feeling first and foremost? And I think, you know, before you get into the super coaching methods, you really need to listen to your client and then pick up on cues from that. And then um, it's important, I I believe, to figure out um, how do those feelings serve you? Do they serve you? What are you feeling? Are you holding yourself back, et cetera? And what are the lessons that you've learned from this experience going forward?
1: I am so glad that I asked. Everything you just shared makes a lot of sense, and I'm going to go back and listen to this and try to incorporate it into my work. But I can tell you, at least just right out of the box, I, don't, I can tell you right now I'm not doing a good job of acknowledging the pain. My default MO is to like dismiss the pain, you know, or like to dismiss it. And I can see that, that if you take that first step, you maybe create this um, foundation for this deeper conversation. So that's one immediate thing for me to start working on now. So, so thank you. And you
0: know what? We tend to want to jump in and solve things, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's an easy first step, I think, to miss.
1: Yeah,
2: thank you. Well, Bonnie, we were earlier talking about your book, The Politics of Promotion, and I wanted to talk a uh, a little bit about how the book you actually wrote, the writing process for writing the book. Was it difficult for you to kind of get your thoughts down on paper? And if you could share some tips for um, helping a person put a book together.
0: Yeah, okay. So when I started coaching in 2007, everybody said you need a website, right? And you need to start a blog. And I remember my first blog, it was, I sat there and I was looking at my computer and I said, what can I possibly write that anybody would find important? You know, the first blog post was just really difficult, but I started to blog. I just started to write and um, not long afterwards, Forbes contacted me. They saw one of my blogs and they asked me if I would become a contributing writer at Forbes. So I have been writing a, a column for Forbes for for years. And um, what that's done is, of course, produced a lot of content, got to tell you. Um, but it's, it just made it easier. It's not like the writing the book was the only writing I do. Um, at one point, I was writing for Business Insider, um, another site called Fairy God Boss. Um, I still now just write for Forbes. But... It's that practice of just writing. Um, And then it was, the book is really based on my coaching process and how I help women get promoted, how I help them get ahead. Um, And so once I organize it, and the secret to a really good book is to do a very, very detailed outline. Mm -hmm. And then the book just flows. But it's really spending the time on, Where do you want, you know, what do you want people to take away from this book? What do you want them to learn? And putting together a very detailed outline um, and uh, just going with it.
2: And then uh, I know that when I've written a book, I found the outline is critical. That's, That's great advice. But what I was doing with my outline, as I kind of built out the chapters, I would put like a file folder for each chapter. And then Mm. anything interesting related to that, I would put in the files. And then what I realized over you do this for a little bit, then you get some files are thicker than others. And then I'm like, well, maybe that should be two chapters. And maybe this one that doesn't have anything in it should be no chapters. Maybe get rid of that. Like it helped me um, kind of build the book just over time. Did you find that uh, something similar, like when you were writing it and you had those chapters? Well, similar, yeah. I mean, I
0: did. um, One thing that I did for my book was I did hundreds of interviews. So I, I mean, that was probably the most challenging part of putting the book together because there were pieces of different interviews that I could put into different chapters. Right. And so I would print up the transcripts from the interviews and i'd highlight like you know in certain colors based on color code by what chapter that would fit in right. where that would fit in so i could go back when i was writing that and 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 fill in the interviews but it the interviews and the research probably made it more challenging i'm now writing another book and i'm doing something similar to to i've got the detailed outline i've done the book proposal and it's out now in, in front of some publishers and agents, but um, it's putting things into different folders and chapters. Um, so if I see research, I said, oh, okay. Or I pull something from an interview, oh, that's for chapter three. Right. So I think it's similar to your approach.
2: Yeah, it just helps me organize it because it could get overwhelming. You know, it seems like if you're trying to build a book, seems hard, but building a chapter seems manageable. Yeah. Now, um, in your career, um, it's grown and grown, right? Your practice keeps thriving and uh, you just keep expanding your offerings and now there's a second book. Uh, Do you have any um, kind of wisdom to share about how to successfully grow a career like yours?
0: Oh, I think, you know, um, don't get stuck in a rut, right? I think, uh, always look for opportunities to grow and and learn, um, learn from other people, and uh, kind of pick up on trends that you're hearing, especially from from your clients. Um, because I do a lot of speaking, I get exposure to you know, sometimes hundreds of women at a time who'll come up to me and talk about some of their their major issues. And uh, that helps me a lot to to stay, um, you know, to, to keep focused on what is currently going on in the workplace. Not that anything has really changed, I'm afraid to say.
1: Right.
0: Um, but because I'm no longer in the corporate setting, um, you know, that kind of helps me a lot. So I think you know just listening, being um, open to what's going on, whatever is it is in your niche, and for me, it's reading, reading, reading what's going on with women in the workplace now and um, and that helps me find you know new opportunities to write and new opportunities uh, for for coaching
2: now do you find that um kind of maybe, I don't know if this would be an unintended consequence, but it was something, maybe a a happy accident that happens when you're doing the speaking you're doing and you do all those interviews that you've done, is that that helps you build a really robust network that you can lean on uh, for other things down the road.
0: Yes, that's true. Yep. And actually, um, a few years ago, um, I had a radio show as well, Um, I had a couple of different radio shows, and I had the opportunity to meet um, very high-profile women. Um, And then when it came to writing my first book, uh, they were right there to do testimonials and um, endorsements for the book. Uh, So it's always, you know, being aware of of the connections that you're making and how you might possibly – Leverage those, and how you can serve those people as well in the future.
2: Right, I think that's some uh, people don't um, kind of leverage their network, like they they almost—I don't want to say they take it for granted, but maybe they don't realize uh, how much value is in their existing network. Do you find that to be true?
0: Yeah, until they need a job. Right, but that's <laughs> but
2: that. <laughs> You got to be nurturing <laughs> it then all the like, time.
0: Oh my God! I haven't talked to that person in five years, and I really <laughs> want to reach out to them. So, it's it's you know it's an ongoing thing. You need to um, not only make connections, but you need to nurture them. And it's really about um, quality, not quantity.
2: Right. And is is that uh, kind of a hole in a lot of people swing? You find that they have maybe a large network, but they're not doing the care and well, feeding. Well, they don't know
0: who's in their network. Yeah. As you said, they're not leveraging them because they they have they don't have real relationships. The, the people in their network don't know about them, and they don't know about about them. Right. And so, um, it you know it takes work to uh, keep a network alive. And um, I you know I always say, what are you trying to achieve in in your career? What's what's your goal? And then who do you know and who do you need to know? And be very strategic. You know, don't waste your time with thousands of people that you're never going to really connect with. But use your time to build some good, solid relationships with people who, who potentially have influence.
2: And that's the thing. Your network doesn't have to have thousands of people. You just have to have the right people. Right. Right. Now, before we wrap, do you have any kind of actionable piece of advice for someone that's brand new that is considering kind of pivoting maybe a second act in their career to get into
0: coaching? Uh, The advice would be to um, talk to as many other coaches as you can. Um, Get an idea of uh, what, what it's like, what some of the challenges are, as well as some of the opportunities about about this as a profession, and, um, you know, know what you're getting into, certainly. I just had a conversation a couple of weeks ago with uh, a young woman who is uh, in sales, and she said, oh, I think I always wanted to become a coach. And so we talked about, well, what's the reality of coaching? You know, and the reality is, you know, you're always in the marketing mode, You know, you're always looking for new clients. It's not like they fall out of the sky. Mm -hmm. And um, you you need some capital to start your business. So I think talking to other coaches and understanding what this is, what the opportunities and challenges are of this profession, that's important.
2: Good stuff. Well, Bonnie, Marcus, thank you so much for sharing your story today. The book is The Politics of Promotion, and soon we can all be on the lookout for another book. By Bonnie Marcus, uh, if somebody wanted to learn more and get a hold of you and have more substantive conversation, is there a website?
0: Yeah, the website is womenssuccesscoaching.com dot com, and uh, you can also find me on Forbes.
2: And then "women's" is plural, right? It's w o m e n s successcoaching Right. Right. Good stuff, Bonnie. Thank you so much for sharing your story today.
0: Well, Thanks. I enjoyed the conversation.
2: All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.